With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Tennis.com podcast. Ed McGrogan, Steve Tigner catching up after Indian Wells, um, a tournament that I think year after year has has continued to earn its stripes as the fifth slam, so to speak. Um, it does seem to get a little more important every year. I think I've I've read some good pieces afterward about, you know, there's there's so much that the tournament does financially. Um, its position on the calendar is kind of a middle ground between the Aussie and the French. Um, but what makes the tournament as important as it is is really the players buying into it because you can't you can't buy that you can't um, you know fake that really. It's that the players do give this that feel of you know that this is a very important tournament and it's one of the one of the few you can say that everybody has their uh you know has that feeling besides the majors and you know we got two very different champions on the men's and women's side um but in each case i think it felt clearly like this was a a very significant tournament uh for both winners yeah, Indian Wells, you know, it sort of kicks off the season, really. Australia is kind of on its, on its own. Now Indian Wells, everything's kind of a, a big deal all the way through until Wimbledon now. And, you, you know, you can tell the players feel that way. It's also at the beginning, so it's a little more relaxed. The players seem to just enjoy being there. The, the men play doubles. Um, now that the Williams sisters are back, Serena wasn't there this year. But, you know, that that, that makes the women's draw stronger. It, it wasn't at its best this year. There were people missing, but... But now, you know, everybody's playing it. Um, I still don't know whether it should become bigger than a Masters event. We can talk about that another time. But but um, it's definitely, it's you know, it's hard to remember six or seven, eight years ago when it was, it was possibly it was going to leave the U.S. for China or the Middle East. It was struggling. And, you know, that's completely turned around now. Um, and, you know, it does kind of set the table for, for the season now. Yeah, and um, and I, I think it's uh, you know in different ways in, in in that regard too. I think I think we're this is a good time to kind of take stock of really everything. This is a hard tournament. All these Masters and, and Premier mandatories are to podcast during it because the days happen. Um, you know, rapid fire. You're getting another round happens. Um, you know, we saw that very. Very intensely with the uh, the so-called quarter of death there, you had, you know, seemingly one match after another every single night, you know, whether it was Djokovic, Del Potro, Kyrgios Djokovic, you know, Kyrgios Vera before that, Federer Nadal, I mean, for me to just say that fourth in that uh, quarter is, is kind of telling. Um, 
you know, th- this was a, a pretty unique event too in that way. Um, I, I think the only saving, you know, I was kind of wondering at the beginning of this event if this would actually help or hurt, or, you know, or kind of uh, harm Indian Wells in a way in that you, you, you really consolidate a lot of this star power, you know, early on in the tournament, um, you know, at the possible expense of kind of petering off as the tournament went on. I, I think this ended up on the whole, in spite of the curious withdrawal against Federer, kind of working out pretty well for Indian Wells. I think the tournament got some pretty, I think, national coverage that it that wouldn't have got because, you know, of this embarrassment of riches, really. Uh, they actually all played out before March Madness really got underway, too. So I think the focus was on tennis um, for for even more so than usual for this tournament. And, you know, obviously it's a bummer that, that we couldn't see that Kyrgios Federer matchup. You, you you kind of sense that Kyrgios really had turned a corner um, in his words in it, on the court and off. Um, so maybe, you know, that's one that I, I'm hoping we are going to see eventually soon this year. Yeah, a quarter of death was great for Indian Wells in that it made the whole week interesting. You know, it yeah. didn't just build up to the weekend. I guess it was bad for ESPN. They didn't get any of those any of those um, matches. But but yeah, and, and it actually didn't end and didn't end up being all that difficult for Federer. He beat Nadal easily and then got a walkover. So he, you know, certainly wasn't quarter of death for him. Um, but yeah, the, the you know there were two interesting matches there. Joe, uh, Kyrgios beating Djokovic for the second straight time. You could see Djokovic was was not his normal self. He was playing in the afternoon after playing Del Potro in the evening. I mean, I think that made him tired, but also I think he was annoyed about it. He didn't seem really fired up for, for Kyrgios. I also think Kyrgios' game kind of keeps him down in a way. You know, if he's serving big, keeps anybody's down. But Djokovic, he's unable to get into rallies or, or even return much. He can't really, you know, dig into the match uh, the way he normally can. So I think Kyrgios is going to be a, you know, he'll be, it'll be trouble for, for Djokovic going forward, even when he's better. And, you know, I think you can see how good Kyrgios can be when he, when he is into it, when it's a match he, he really is invested in, um, and fired up for, you know, beating Djokovic twice. Obviously he's going to be, he's going to be invested in that. Djokovic wasn't at his best, but I don't know how many people could have beaten Djokovic on that day. Anyway, Kyrgios did, he did it with his game. He did it, you know, he, he was excellent from the baseline. It wasn't just his serve. And I think, you know, I felt the same way about Federer beating the Daw. There was, you know, even after all these years, you felt like something new came from Federer with his backhand, a shot we hadn't seen him hit that way at all. Even he said he had really hadn't hit, hit it that way at all. It was, you know, 10 years later, it was the answer to Rafa's, you know, challenge to him, and, and he won easily. So that's, you know, there's a new dynamic there. Rafa says it's not really a new dynamic that, that he didn't play that well and he, he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't think things have changed that much or completely turned around, but that'll, that injects a whole new, you know, really new life into, into that rivalry. Which... I mean, though, I mean, those two matches there, you're just hit on, I think some of the ultimate ironies of, of, you know, you see, you saw Djokovic, Djokovic curious in which it was, it was curious who, you know, kind of kept the focus most of all, uh, returned, I think just, you know, returned great as well as the serve. Um, you, you didn't see Kyrgios have, I think this kind of reaction really since 
I almost want to bring it back to his breakthrough over Nadal at Wimbledon years ago. I just I, I, this it was kind of a new sight to see him really not only just win the match, but I think more important, sort of uh, give himself some credit for doing just that. I think I thought it was a, I thought it was very um, very new to see, uh, quite honestly. And then Roger, you know, with that backhand, which is you know for the past decade has been written about as the ultimate, you know, just thing that holds him back against Nadal. Um, you know, I, I think it's and in, in, in terms of Federer. Um, you know, you look at really what saw him through this entire tournament. Um, you know, there was those new, there was a new sort of hallmark like that. You also, I think, saw some of the things. You know, in particular, when when Roger ends up uh, defeating Vavrinka in the final, playing you know Steve Johnson, playing Sock, playing guys that have you know heavy, heavy artillery in their games. You know, I thought the Federer defense was exceptional as always. I think it's always kind of been a bit underrated in his game, his ability to remain in points. And, you know, the longer he the longer he remains in points, the more time he's going to give himself to to sort of inevitably find an answer. And I, I just thought, you know, we're still kind of learning really things about Federer at 35, um, you know, is an incredible takeaway and something we certainly wouldn't have expected to hear, you know, as recently as six months ago. Yeah, I think it wasn't just the backhand that, that looked new or, you know, even better to me. Like you said, it was there was defense, his volleying against Favrink. And I also think I felt like in that match and some of the other matches, the improved backhand made it it made it more natural for him to come forward. There, I feel like there was a sense during the Edberg Era. He wanted to come forward, and he did, but it was a little bit. It was a little bit. It could be forced. It could be something where he was doing it because this was his plan to do it at the beginning of the match. So I, you know, he felt like I have to come in, uh, but maybe it wasn't necessarily on the greatest shot. Now he's got. Now the backhand is stronger. He just looked. He looked sharper from the baseline, which made moving forward easier. Um, we'll see if that you know continues. I think to me the one thing he looked. The, the most, and he and he mentioned it. The you know the most important thing is how rested he he seems, and he he talked about that. That'll be the it's sort of the catch twenty two for him when you when you talk about him um, becoming number one. And he mentioned this it, that would require him beefing up his schedule most likely. But can he do that and also keep playing like this? That's the question. He said he promised himself this year he would never he wouldn't play any tournaments unless he was really excited to play, and he felt like he was going to be at his best with this kind of tennis. Um, so you know, now you look for it. Then he immediately had to say, well, I'm going to have to play next. I'm going to play next week in Miami. So you know, we'll see whether he can keep that balance. But that that to me was just this tournament showed what a you know what a a rested Federer can do. He'd only played two matches in the last month. The six months before that, he hadn't played at all. You know, some of the, it wasn't worn down by the travel and the play. Um, you know, he's going to have his down moments, but now you feel like, you really feel like Grand Slams are in play again. More Grand Slams are in play. The number one ranking is in play. You know, things you, you we wouldn't have said a month ago. Yeah, the longevity is, uh, you know, is, <clears throat> is working itself out in uh in a uh in a very very compelling way for Federer when it comes to projecting ahead um you know especially Wimbledon of course and uh and it, it's going to be it'll be uh 
pretty interesting to see, you know, what he devotes to the clay schedule, which takes up, you know, a lot of time on the calendar. Um, and, you know, we already saw last year that he was very willing to, to pare that down uh, pretty significantly. We'll get, uh, you know, we'll look ahead a little bit to Miami. I want to, I want to shift to, to, um, to the WTA side of Indian Wells, where you had Elena Vesnina and, um, Svetlana Kuznetsova in the women's final. You know, Kuznetsova, a player who in the past we have seen, you know, is 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 has been embroiled in some marathon matches over the years. Um, you know, I think part of that is simply because she has, you know, in spite of winning two Grand Slam titles, has often still been her own worst enemy, has has really always had a bit of, you know, insecurity in terms of getting over uh you know kind of finishing the job she ended up leading Vesnita by a break in the second and third set after winning the first set and this match ends up going three hours and one minute before Vesnina wins what is clearly the biggest title of her career um we've had some as I was pointed out there's been some surprising champions at Indian Wells before pretty recently too if you you know if you if you recall Panetta Flavia Panetta winning at Indian Wells two years ago um it's it's a tournament that um you know for whatever reason has has spawned some uh some champions we haven't expected um Vesnina certainly won that you would put in that in that uh in that category although you know a top 15 player and someone who is who is dedicated, you know, herself over to the singles game. Um, you know, she long-standing doubles uh, standout, and someone who I've watched on tour, you know, really since she kind of came on in 2007, 2008. Um, you know, kind of someone you would expect to see drop off in the second, maybe third rounds of slams. Um, someone who didn't really have, you know, the weapons to kind of break through, but but we've seen over the past uh, you know, year and a half or so that um, that really she has um, clearly established herself in the single scene here, and you know for her to to kind of just force Kuznetsova into yet again just kind of thinking of the situation and and you know you know putting herself again in just positions to eventually eke this one out. Uh, Vesnina's win um, was as probably you know as interesting to talk about as as Federer's in some sense yeah you know in the in the years before for a long time watch a doubles match with her in it and I always felt like she was the most talented player out there almost every time um so you wondered what what was holding her back in singles now she made the semis at Wimbledon last year she's got a better ranking better seating um this tournament it seemed like she just she she sort of had this you know, ability to keep winning even when she wasn't, even when she, you know, not necessarily playing her best or dominating. Um, she's also a, a fun player to watch. She doesn't sit back. She she attacks. Uh, she uses different different plays. Um, she was able to change her game in the middle of this match and use more angles and move in. Uh, you know, definitely deserve this. And, and she's somebody like Panetti. Really hope that that this that this um, she continues. You know, like this. She's also a good. She's always a good interview, um, a good talker, a good personality, popular player. Um, you know, you really hope that that you see we see more of her in these kind of matches. And Kuznetsova, you know, I felt like you could hear 
things change, and even in the way she was grunting, in the middle of the when she was up seven six three one seven six four one in that area, her grunt changed to something. It sounded like she was more nervous that she was laboring more, and it was true. And you know, she started to miss, um, and then let Vesnina back in, and Vesnina took over. And then in the third set, Kuznetsova was ahead again. Same thing, you know, like clockwork in a way. It's Stuff she just had, you know, struggled to get across the finish line. She was the better player for most of it. I think, you know, she's a more powerful, you know, stronger player in general. Probably should win that match, um, but you could just predict it. I you know, you know, we'll we'll see whether where, where that leaves her going forward. She's it's not like this was a fluke. She's had a great twelve months. Yeah, and and I want to get to some of the players that uh, <clears throat> excuse me that Vesnina defeated. Including uh, Angelique Kerber, as we you know, as we go ahead and look to Miami, I want to get to her in a bit there. But I, I want to make a point about the uh, the two finals because you know they had obviously much different running times. You had a three hour women's final um, followed immediately by the men's final, which was you know certainly shorter. But more to the point of what I'm getting at is you know there was a lot I think of subtle and also not so subtle sort of um, consternation about, you know, the fact that this women's final took, it took three hours. And in, in doing so, obviously, when you schedule a a one match to be immediately followed by another match, it's going to impact that. Federer, as we know, a huge drawing card. Um, you saw a lot of people sort of, you know, moaning about the fact that this final was, you know, I think in a, in some people's eyes, taking you know taking away from that you know the main event really you know it's the way that Indian Wells the way that most manage a dual gender events um, schedule their finals the women are first the men are second there is that really not so implicit you know presentation that the ATP is the main event and in, in in you know compared to the WTA I don't. And I'm not asserting that. I'm just saying that I think that is what you open yourself up to when finals are presented that way. And I think um, I think there's a legitimate gripe for those who you know took took issue with really this sense that you know why that that the women were being sold short for what was a very compelling final, a very dramatic one over the course of three hours. Um, and I just I thought I felt it very uncomfortable as I was even watching the ESPN broadcast of it. I thought you could even sense to a degree that, you know, the network itself I don't think benefited greatly from you know seeing a, a long, long women's final as a prelude to Federer and Vavrinka. And I I sensed a little bit of of uneasiness, you know, listening to the commentary about that. There was some I thought some digs at kind of the timing, um, you know, of the previous match. I think that tournaments open themselves up to this, though, when you are scheduling a final and having a trophy ceremony, um, you know, one that you they probably want to rush ahead. I thought I felt very bad for uh, Vesnina, quite honestly, that I thought her moment was sullied a little bit by the fact that, you know, the show had to go on and they really wanted to get Federer and Ravrinka out there, you know, as quickly as possible. I think I think they actually because the circumstances had to um, had to borrow the presentation trophy from her presser after to get it out back to the court for the uh, men's presentation. I just I just didn't love the way it all came out, and I wish tournaments you know would consider that 
you know, there needs to be equal time uh, when you are having, uh, you know, two tours represented. I think, I think you open yourself up to a lot of uncomfortable uh, situations. And I just kind of wondered your thoughts on, on really that. Maybe not this specifically, if it didn't strike you that way, but just how these dual gender events have been handling the ATP and WTA because there have been more and more of them over the years. Yeah, I think Indian Wells, you know, I think the the idea was was a, is a good one, and I think they want to put them on, put the two matches on Sundays because one match for a final, if you have people come out to Palm Springs for one match, it can be over in two sets, and and you feel like you didn't get enough. Last year in Miami, um, I was in Miami Saturday, women's final, Azarenka beat Kuznetsova easily, and I felt like people really didn't get enough for this match. Next day, Djokovic beat Nishikor easily, just as easily, and I felt the same way. Like people came out, you know, people didn't get a whole lot out of this, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. Um, and maybe if you come all the way out there and you just get Federer and Bavrinka for an hour and a half. Is that enough for a final? I guess you don't want a three-hour, one of them, maybe you don't want them in the plan to be a three-hour final. That's maybe that that's beyond what they wanted, beyond what ESPN wanted. I think the idea isn't bad to put them together as far as the paying customer coming to see a day of tennis and what they get. I guess you have to look at who, but I, I agree that this was ended up being rushed in an unfortunate situation I guess you could you could schedule definite schedule of the women's final at a certain early hour or the men's final at a certain early hour and the women's and the other one later at a definite time you know then you have to decide whether you sell separate tickets it's a whole other um set of problems there um I mean ultimately ultimately this as things are are, are going to be dictated by <clears throat> excuse me by television and you know this final started very early on the west coast if this was an 11 a.m start time as well yeah i do think i do you know you hear so moaning on twitter about the length of the women's match i would wonder in general what the fans in the stadium thought were they was it a majority who just wanted to see fetter or were they just tennis fans who bought tickets and were happy to see as much tennis for their money as <laughs> as they could see i think there's probably a lot of both uh, yeah, I think that's true. Um, I I think the point that I just want to raise is that, at, you know, if you, if you switch the two scenarios and, and it was Federer and Ravrinka that gave you this three hour final, and it was a white, it was a it was a one hour and twenty minute women's final beforehand. I just I I just sense that the tenor is a lot different between this and it's. It's it's just yeah. something. Well, that's definitely true. It would yeah. You wouldn't yeah. get complaints. You'd get a. It would be talked about as an epic match. Right. And nobody right. would say it went on too long. That's, that's yeah. True. Yep. And, and I and it, this is nothing that's to be solved. Uh, this is nothing that's new. I don't think with the the way that the tours have been perceived. And I think that's, you know, I think that's partially obviously because we are. And I think this is you know unquestionably true that we are in you know one of the great men's eras. No matter what your thoughts are of how the 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 quality of the overall game is on both tours. I mean, there's no denying that Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, and their contemporaries are, you know, this is one of the most captivating eras in tennis. I 
I just wanted to bring it up here to just kind of get it out there. And yeah. I, it was one sort of takeaway from this weekend that, that sort of struck me besides the two champions. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully to me, the people who paid to go saw, felt like they saw two really good matches and two very different types of matches. And they came, you know, came away happy with that. That's ex- yeah, exactly. Um, with that said, let's move to Miami, you know, somewhat, uh, quickly here. This is a, this is a draw that, um, you know, Serena again out. And for the men, you have uh, Murray and Djokovic, the undisputed number one and number two of the world coming into 2017 and of 2016. Um, it has been anything but for those two this year. You had the early uh, Australian Open exits uh, serving as uh, something of a... I don't know, perhaps a bit of foreshadowing here. We didn't talk about Murray much when we went to Indian Wells. He was, you know, he was uh, marooned on the other side of the draw away from the quarter of death, didn't take advantage of that. But so maybe this is a good time to talk about Murray and talk about Kerber, um, who will be in Miami. Kerber was one of the uh, one of Elena Vesnina's victims, three and three, going down pretty meekly, meekly in the uh, round of 16. Maybe with, maybe to start, you know, before we get into Miami, you know, I guess where, uh, you know, where do we see really these number ones at right now? Uh, Kerber actually assumes number one because of Serena's uh, extended absence. Yeah, you have to, you know, Kerber really hasn't played like a number one this year. It's a very, very slow start, just one <laughs> final. And, and last year she started to turn it around in Miami, made the semis there. Um, so I think we could possibly see that here. You know, the, the opportunity is definitely there. No Serena, no Vika, no Maria. Um, the draw is it's definitely there for her to, to her to make the semis, even though she plays one of her early matches could be against Daria Kasakina, who's already beaten her twice this year. I think Murray is a, you know, we haven't talked much about Murray. I feel like, I feel like there's just a, there's still a 2016 hangover for him. He just ended with so much effort, uh, over the last four months so many wins um had to be very satisfying the way it ended i just feel like he hasn't almost hard it was almost hard for him to top that yeah that performance yeah i just feel like he hasn't gotten into this season away now he's injured but you know so far he just doesn't seem like you know there he had a definite goal and you could feel he was just plowing ahead match by match to reach that goal now that he's there maybe it's a different mindset I think Djokovic now also Djokovic is injured. Um, you know, he showed against Del Potro, I think, in Indian Wells that the fire is still there, that the game is still there. It was definitely a vintage Joker performance. Um, I felt like the first time we'd seen it since the semis of the French Open, him really going after the ball, um, you know, doing all the things that we know he can do. And then it, it didn't happen again against Kyrgios for, for whatever reason. Um, so, but you know, I felt like the Del Potro match was a good sign from him. It's, you know, it's still there. He can still he can still summon that game. Um, and then I'm just looking at the Miami draw. The th- I yeah, I, I just brought it on myself, and I was just thinking that it's first of all, it's a pretty <clears throat> excuse me, it's a pretty weird draw when you see. Have we seen Stan Wawrinka as the number <laughs> one seed ever? Yeah. yeah. No, very, I don't think so. Yeah, very very odd in a, um, a tournament of this level. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what I was about to say, a couple things, is that I can think of few players who might, you know, not need, but 
sort of uh, it would I think it would say a lot and is and it would would resonate the most if someone like Del Potro went on to win this tournament. He he still I don't believe has won a Masters event, and you know we've seen. I think it's clear that Del Potro is uh, is about as back as we can expect, and you know, lo and behold, um, assuming Federer defeats either a qualifier or, or Kravchuk, he will probably play Del Potro in uh, <clears throat> in the third round of this tournament. So, well, you Del, know, po- yet, Del Potro yet- now is the what where Azarenka was in 2015, the player without the ranking, who's way too good for his current ranking, the way she was. Yeah, and he, he just he is, kept getting kept getting Serena kept getting bad draws, and then couldn't, you know, the ranking couldn't rise because of that. And I think Del Potro is in that phase right now. Yeah, this is pretty. It's pretty staggering with the Del Potro matches we're likely to see, um, you know, again here with, uh, you know, I I am kind of curious to see what Federer does here with the back to back of Indian Wells. I think given all you said about the rest and. You know how he wants to pace himself. I I, th- I do think though, you know, deep down, you know, to to be able to to pull off this hardcore triple would be a, a great motivator for him. And then, you know, this is I guess maybe you want to call this maybe the half of death because you get Vavrinka and you get Kyrgios, um on the top half as well. We, so we may see, depending on how Kyrios is recovered from food poisoning, uh, that was what uh, was said there. You know, we could see some fireworks again. The top half of this draw, and in the bottom, um, is where Nadal is located. Nadal's up to number five, and another very strange one. Kanish Corey is the number two. Very odd-looking uh, Miami draw. It's a good draw. You know, even yeah. without Murray and and Djokovic, there's a lot. You know, you could have this possibility of Nadal, Dimitrov. You've got um, Alexandra Zverev, Vavrinka possible. Kyrgios is in there, like you said. Del Potro, Federer, um, you know, Rafa, and and K are on the same side. So, still a lot, you know, a lot happening there. Yeah, you like what you saw from Sock and Indian Wells because I did, especially in that Dimitrov match. Yeah, that felt different from him. That felt like a match. Maybe he could have he could have thrown away or just said, "This is good enough. I've done well enough." Uh, he had match points down, but he really fought through that. He was down a break in the third, and he was. He was possible going down two breaks, and he didn't let himself do it. You know, he didn't just throw that game away and 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 say good enough. He's you know he fought through that and really wanted it in a way that I don't know if we've seen that often from from him. He you know he he said during the tournament that the mentality he feels confident in his game, but the mentality is what comes next. And and uh, you know that tournament was Indian Wells was a was a good step for him in that way. Even even the Federer loss to. You know, you know, you you felt like he was gonna get, he was gonna get knocked back early by Federer, but coming back and making that second set into something that, that you know that was a good sign. Sock and curious, yeah, I thought came off you know two social media buds. I thought they came off pretty well for Minion Wells there, and um, yeah, the bottom half is will you know present another opportunity for someone like Sock to um, you know Raonich in there, Chilich, um, like I said uh, that. That's that standing K at one two is just staggering to me. Um, <laughs> wi- women's draw, looking at that now, um, and Steve will have some pretty detailed previews on tennis.com today or tomorrow uh, of these draws here. Kerber number one, as we said, um, 
You have Madison Keys on the top half, Simona Halep, Venus Williams. Venus again with another good um, good run. Very strong start to the year for her uh, with her Indian with her Aussie Open final and um, going you know over in Indian Wells, winning a couple matches there. Um, bottom half, you have Muguruza, Vesnina at thirteen, um, Sabolkov at four. Vandaway had a pretty poor. Um, Indy Wells with losing her opener. She's here at 18. Um, Carolina Pliskova, who, um, you know, you, I think you thought for a while that maybe Indian Wells was setting up for Pliskova to, uh, to capture, you know, I think that's kind of one of those titles where if she wins that, it's, it's like, oh, we should have seen this coming given her play, but ended up not being able to, um, to finish that off in the end. Yeah, I think this will be an interesting tournament for Kerber. You know, she's back to number one, but can she, you know, can she feel good about that? And will that make her really want to back that up more? Um, like I said, she has a tough, possible tough early one against Kasatkina. Venus Williams, um, she could play Mladenovic in a second match. That's a that's a good one. I wonder about Simona Halep. She hasn't been off to a good start, but she usually does well at these at these U.S. tournaments. She's done well in Miami before. This seems important for her. Um, Johanna Kanta and... And Madison Keys are in the same section, two interesting players who you sort of feel like, you know, Madison's just coming back, but but Conte and Keys did well here last year, made the quarters. And this is a type of tournament you might start to think they should they should be winning where they are. You know, Conte was really good in Australia. Keys is obviously in the top ten. You know, this Miami type of tournaments, is it time for them to start winning those? These types of tournaments, they could play each other. And um and like you said, Pliskova, I still like the way she's playing, even though she lost that semifinal. I like her attitude. She seems to really believe that 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 she's destined for big things, that she can beat anybody. Um, you know, I, I still like the way she came. She didn't play a good early round match, but she survived it and made made something out of the tournament. Um, so, you know, we'll see what she does with it here. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of consider both these draws here, and you know they start actually main draw play starts today in the women's tomorrow the men's. Um, lot of uh, action right off the uh, heels of Indian Wells. So um, for that, you'll uh, head to tennis dot com and all the matches, uh, the majority of them on Tennis Channel with the broadcast as well. Um, so for that, I think we'll wrap this up and uh, we'll reconvene as we approach. Um, as we approach the clay court season, this is your goodbye to hard courts for now. And uh, we'll say goodbye for now. Steve Tigner and Ed McGrogan here on the Tennis.com podcast. Thank you for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.